Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you. Thank you, students from Lincoln. Uh, I, I shared with them in the, uh, in the green room before service that, uh, man, just love having college students around, love the chance to interact with them, to meet with them. So make sure you don't miss that opportunity. Find out a little bit about them between services. Ask them, where are they from? What are you studying? Why are you here? Why did you come to ask them those questions? Because um, it, it is important to know. Uh, they got to be able to give answers for those things, good ones. They're, they're going to be interviewing for jobs and things like that before they know it. And they got to have real life answers, you know. And so this is a great chance for them to practice that and for you, hopefully, to hear their heart for why they're doing what they're doing. Because that's the most important part um, for sure. If your heart's not into ministry, then it's a job. And uh, this isn't a job. You'll never be able to sustain it if it's a job. Um, it, it has to be a ministry for sure for Christ. So um, just want to remind you this time of year uh, is heavy on food pantries. Um, this time of year, the holiday season that we're entering into, very difficult for food pantries to sustain themselves. And so and you know, hopefully, everyone knows that we have one here. And so they are in need of donations always. That never ends because they're open each week. And so um, there's a list out at the Welcome Center. Just keep up with that if you could um, throughout this fall season. Help them out and make sure things are stocked for, for all of those, those folks. Um, coming by throughout the week on Thursdays when, it, when it's open. Uh, last week, uh, McKenna and Jason got to be here. Many of you got to meet them. I know some of you didn't, and so I want to remind you, the next time they'll be here will be the weekend of the 26th and 27th. And uh, we have, I think, in the bulletin, there should be a, a sign-up sheet, if you will. We're having a luncheon after second service, right after second service on the 27th with her um, for all of our children's ministry volunteers uh, and any parents that want to stick around and just interact with her. She's going to have some things for you guys as well. And so that'll be a great, great chance for you to get to know her, her hear a little more about ministry and things like that with her. Let her know your intention um, to help her out in whatever way that she needs you, because that is exactly what she will need um, when she gets here. So that is October 27th, right after church. So if that's you, please get signed up. We got to know how much food we need um, for that luncheon after church that day. The other thing I wanted to let you know is after talking with them last week, they think they're probably going to be looking for a house to rent um, somewhere. And so if anybody in the church has any connections, we'll put on the church Facebook page as well um, or knows of things coming available later on this fall into winter, let us know. Um, so hopefully on the 27th, we could actually take them to go see some, some different locations and things like that. So if that's you and you have that world available to you, let us know um, as soon as you can so we can begin that process with them. Um, really, the, the only other thing before we pray to start things up is this. Um, we're going to have a big fall work day, uh, either the first or second Saturday in November. We're still working on the date. So just know that's there. Uh, we'll have a big list of things that we want to do all around the church building and things. And so um, whatever you could come in on that Saturday would be a huge, huge help to us in these projects. As you know from the rain, if you didn't know this right now in the works is an awning to drop off folks, everybody off at this this what would that be? East, southeast door, this glass door over here facing the south and the east. Um, so just look for that. That's not one of the things we'll be doing that day, but that's coming. Um, with the rain, you, you probably noticed that. All right. Before we pray, um, I want to let you know, if you didn't know, uh, we support a mission in Haiti. If you were around at VBS, then you know that because our missionaries were from Haiti at VBS this summer. What you may or may not know is I actually have a sister um, and brother-in-law who are missionaries in Haiti. They started a mission there probably about going on five years ago now, I would guess, at this point in time. And they're in the city of Lakai, the third largest city in Haiti. Um, and really for the last summer. <laughs> Things in Haiti have not been good. Uh, there's issues with the president. If you're familiar with the country of Haiti, you'll know uh, my dad was in Haiti in the 80s and 90s. And guess what? 
there were problems with the president. Um, and there always are and probably always will be. Um, all kinds of corruption issues, things going on. It, it's just the, the way of life there. But right now, things are, are really pretty bad. And with the mission she has, at the moment, she has actually several young children that um, she does not run an orphanage, but she has several young children that she also is taking care of as a part of this ministry. And those children need fed. And when stores aren't open um, because of the riots and everything else and gas isn't available to go to get anything, it becomes very difficult and very stressful on missionaries as a whole in Haiti. And so if you know, if you've been in the church long enough, you probably know a missionary from Haiti. It's a very popular place for us to send people because of the great need there. Um, please lift them up um, right now. Tune in the news every once in a while. Look, just do a little search. See what's going on in that country throughout the week and see maybe specifically what you could pray for for the missionaries that exist in that country and just, just the souls of those that are lost, obviously, but the safety and security for the missionaries down there trying to reach people and for things to, to settle down to a point where they can continue their ministry in a, in a safe way. All right, let's, let's open with prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. I love the opportunity to, to worship with a, a new group of people, Father, uh, young students that you're raising up uh, to be uh, that next generation of leaders within the church. I pray your hand upon them, their lives, their families, um, Father, their future, in the church, I just pray that you open the right doors for them, prepare their hearts and minds to serve you in ministry um, in the way that, that needs to be served in whatever context you, you move them into in this world. Father, I want to pray specifically for those that uh, our church and others, people we know that are serving in the country of Haiti. Uh, it's a difficult, difficult environment. It always has been. Uh, but Father, this is a, a particularly difficult season. And having direct connections with someone there, um, it's hard to watch them go through that and, and have to, to survive almost at times in that situation. And so, Father, just open those doors for those ministries this week. Uh, Father, open the, the, the safety and security of that country back up. Uh, calm the riots down. Uh, allow people to go back to, to life as normal. It's not good, but at least back to normal so they can, uh, she can provide for the ones that you've provided for her. Father, be with us today as we study your word, the book of Ephesians. In your name we pray. Amen. Nah, so, so excited. We are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're on this, this journey with us, whether you're a longtime member of Berea or you're fairly new to around here. Here's the coolest thing. Each and every time you're able to listen, each and every time you're willing to gather together, do you understand that God has you here for a reason? A very, very specific reason. He has you here on purpose. There's something that God has in store for you. He knew you would be here. Have you ever thought about that? You thought it was your own decision to be here, and it was. But the God of the universe knew you would be sitting right where you're sitting today. He knew every conversation you would have on your way in. He knows what conversation he wants you to have on your way out. Are you willing? Are you in a hurry to leave? That's a question that we've got to answer. He knows What's going on? He has something in store for you. Maybe it's a person you've never, ever even met before, and he wants you to have that first ever conversation. Today, that person's already caught your eye. You're like, who is that? I don't recognize them. Will you be willing to step out and speak with them this morning? His greatest desire is for you to go, grow closer to him today than you already are. Don't miss that opportunity to be a bigger part of your life than he is right now in this moment. Now, we've just begun to dive into this book of, of Ephesians. We've just two weeks in. So we're just getting started in this. Maybe this is your first time ever studying a book like this in this kind of context. Great. We're glad you're here. Maybe it's your first time ever reading through the whole book of Ephesians together with a group. That's wonderful. Here's what I love to do, and I, I alluded to this last year, I love, or last week. I, I love these kinds of studies because you always know where we're going. 
You could always do a little bit of prep work if you wish. It's a wonderful thing. If you prepare just a little bit each week by reading the text that we're going to cover. So next week, we're going to cover the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's really simple. It's very short reading. For if you're willing to take a look at that text each week, I think that God can open your minds and your hearts in a new way when you come to his service and you hear the text expanded on. He, he, he's going to do something in you a little bit different because you're probably going to see something in a new light because you're going to read that text knowing maybe what you've always known. And then you're going to hear that text maybe presented in a slightly different way and God's going to challenge you through that. He's going to help you grow maybe like you've never grown before. A few weeks ago, we talked about the soils in particular the soil of our heart. And it's always used as an evangelistic passage for, for planting the seeds of faith in people's lives. And that is absolutely appropriate. But it's just as appropriate to realize that that soil is still within us believers. And sometimes our soil is not very fertile and it's not very receptive to any seeds that God might wish to plant. Consider yourself doing a little bit of plowing, loosening up the soil as you read that text before you get here. Even if it's first thing on a Sunday morning before you arrive, just don't be surprised if God invests in you in a whole new way as a result of that little bit of prep work that you're willing to do. Plus, this kind of study obviously gives you a great chance to review after the service. You can go back into that text and see what God speaks to you through that text. That is why I truly do love preaching in this style, if you will, teaching in this way. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, snag it. Open your phones, whatever you need to do. And you'll be there. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get to this, my favorite part, verses 8 through 10 here in a little bit. That is my favorite passage in this book. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It is painted on the wall in my office. I showed you that picture a couple of weeks ago. It means a lot to me and I, I pray that this passage means a lot to you as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul takes some time to begin this passage by reminding everyone who they were before Christ. As for you and I, go ahead. Here's what I love to do. Make these passages personal. This letter is to us as much as it is to the people in Ephesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, then right now you simply need to replace a few words through there. Use the word me. I'll reread this first part again. As for me, I was dead in my transgressions in which I used to live when I followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit 
who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of my flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, I was by nature deserving of wrath. You see, this is my story. This is your story as well. All of us were once apart from Jesus. And if you've never accepted Jesus, then this is still you. You can make all those present tense statements in that verse. Look at that passage. Are there any sins, any transgressions in modern society that don't fit into that description? Gratifying the cravings of my flesh, its thoughts, its desires. I do whatever I want to do. I do whatever makes me feel good. If it feels good, then, well, it's at least right for me. I don't really care about the rest of you. You see, that's the way of the world. They've even taken it a step further. Now I'll do whatever I want to do, regardless of whether it even causes harm to other people. That's irrelevant. If I want to do it, then I will. It's okay. This is how the world permits, even encourages sinful behavior, which of course we know is no longer sinful, right? In order for there to be sin, there has to be an absolute standard of some kind. And today, the only standard for the world are the thoughts and feelings of each and every individual. There's no, not to be any outside authority or standard by which we're supposed to live. Of course, if you know anything at all about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you know that is not the way of Jesus. You see, we're all deserving of God's wrath. We have truly earned it. So what did Jesus do? Because of this wrath that we're all deserving, did he just give us a big long list of do's and don'ts? Did he simply give us an order from on high? Hey, I need you to behave like this. Would you please? No, no. <laughs> And not in any way at all. No, Jesus flipped the table completely and he came to us. Now, he didn't just come. One of the things that we talk about, and Christmas is a great season to, to think about this, you know, the idea that, that the, chi the child, Jesus, just came as a baby. And we talk about this wonderful scene or whatever else. What we don't really ever consider is everything that Jesus Christ left in order to come here and do what he did. The power the authority, the majesty that he turned in for a moment. He set it aside and he subjected himself to the very creation that he was responsible for making. He didn't force any change upon us. He demonstrated change for us. He came and he showed us how to live. He gave us the example to follow. He shared his thoughts, his ways with us. And in spite of all of that, in spite of all the miracles he performed, in spite of all the people he helped, in spite of all that he taught, the peace that he brought, in the end, the ways of man seemed to win the day. As man illegally tried him on lie after lie after lie, ultimately nailing him to that cross, thinking man had won the day. Man's ways had for a moment proved to be better than that of Jesus. But you see, three days later, all of heaven roared, hey, not so fast. Mankind doesn't quite have it right. Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, God's design cannot be improved. It's not possible. God's will for your life Listen carefully. God's will for your life is the perfect path. There could be no better existence in this life or the next than in the center of God's will. However, something we must all know and understand is that God's will for our life does not include sin. 
at all. Our sinful nature, our own choices, introduce sin into God's perfect plan for our lives. And at some point in your life, many of you began to realize that. And you made a decision to accept the sacrifice that God made for you on that cross. And you know that sin is no longer a part of God's plan for you. You've been saved by his grace. You've been forgiven from your sin, which leads us right back to the beginning, verse one of chapter two. Only this time, I'm gonna read it with a little different emphasis. We read the original, we made it personal, and now we're gonna talk about the, the topic that Paul is referring to. As for me, I was dead in my transgressions and sin, in which I used to live when I followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of my flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, I was, was by nature deserving of God's wrath. Did you hear? All of those are past tense. I was, I used to, I followed, I lived, I was deserving of wrath, but no more. Praise God, anyone? Come on, that's who we are now. What does this mean for us? It means that every single one of us should have an AD, an after-death experience. If we've accepted Jesus, we have chosen to die to self. An after-death moment for each one of us. The initial change in our life brought on by the grace and love of Jesus and this newfound faith that we have in him. Then further, the continued presence and work of Jesus in our lives. Jesus did not save us so that we could remain in our sins. He did not save us so that we could remain who we were before Christ. He saved us from who we were. He saved us to be who he created us to be. Your sin can be forgiven and forgotten. Your sin can be forgiven and forgotten. Anyone can have that gift. Anyone can accept the grace and mercy and salvation found in faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone. But on the flip side of that, no sin can be embraced. No sin can be protected. No sin can be encouraged. Sin must die with the nature of our old self. This passage is a reminder of that truth. Jesus never saves anyone with the expectation that they're just gonna continue on in their life of sin time after time. As he forgives people's sins, he always tells them, go and sin no more. It's quite the opposite, you see. He saves them from their sin, that they no longer have to live that lifestyle. Through his power, their old self can be defeated. It can be overcome. It can be replaced We are recreated. We are made new when we accept Christ. He sees us as that new creation. The old has gone. Not the old's taking a back seat. Not the old's worth hanging on to. Not the old is too important, too powerful, too much a part of me. The old is dead. The old is gone. It is replaced through the power of the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing that that power cannot overcome. This is pretty good news. I don't know if you're aware of that. This is pretty good news for all humanity. We gotta share this with others. Just as importantly, we have to embrace this for ourselves. Too many believers in Christ are carrying around their corpse everywhere they go of their dead past life and they won't turn it over to Jesus. And as a result, they keep revisiting their dead past life 
and not accepting that full forgiveness that Christ is offering them. And I know we're still learning how to be a more interactive church. I know we don't live in the right part of the country to fully embrace that idea, but I'm telling you, it's okay to give a God a hallelujah every once in a while. A little amen here and there is not a bad thing for God if, if you believe it. You see, I think a lot of people sit there real quiet because they're like, I don't really know if God can do that. If you believe with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that God can do this in your life, then you can't stop from shouting. Remember, he said something to the effect of, you know, if nobody says anything, even the rocks will cry out. You see, they have us one up on us if we're not willing to put that out there. Do you put your faith and trust in Jesus and his power and him as the only way of salvation? I pray that you do. Paul continues, and he reminds us all of how this is made possible. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now a lot of people ask why. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Why would God allow such a thing? Why couldn't there be another way? Why is Jesus really the only way, the only path to God? Why? Because of his great love. For us, there's nothing any of us could ever do to earn his love. There's nothing you or I or anyone else could have ever done to prevent him from coming to this earth and doing what he did. He came in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. He came because he loves us. Now, this is a very important point. He didn't come to improve our lives. He did not come. Jesus did not come to improve our lives. Jesus came to bring us back to life from the dead. <laughs> That's a big difference. That's a big, big difference in some ways people preach the gospel. This is the incredible love of God, the agape love that is poured out to us. He is seeking out our well-being, our best possible life here as well as in the one to come. And what is the most remarkable part about God's love and all that it costs him to offer it to us is that he knew most people would never even accept it. He knew, in fact, that some people would absolutely defiantly reject it. And yet he continues to offer it freely anyway. You see, we can only be made fully alive in Jesus. This life is given to us through the same power that he used to overcome death and the grave. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you have that power within you right now to triumph over your old life, B.C., before Christ. This process is illustrated literally to us through the act of baptism. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 3, Paul explains how this works. Listen. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the life or through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him and that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, but because anyone who has died has been set free 
of sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, we can't, he cannot die. Again, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Baptism is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And I really hope really soon we begin to show that to people that haven't ever experienced that in Christ. Death no longer has mastery over you. You and I are alive in Christ. And through this life, God's plans to show you, to demonstrate to you, for you, to live in the riches of his glorious grace forever. God will continually pour out his grace among believers for all eternity. God's grace isn't a one-time event. He will continue to let those rivers of grace flow for all of eternity. God will continue his kindness to all who come to his son Jesus forever. When you contrast that with man-made religions, you'll find that man is constantly trying to please or appease the gods, trying to appease their wrath in some way, shape, or form. Paul shares with us that our God is eager to show his loving kindness to everyone, everyone who is in Christ. And so comes the money verse, as you say, the most important part of this whole package, verse eight, it is by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, no. It is a gift of God. It is not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, one day, I, I, I've been watching a series of videos, and I, I think it's going to happen next year. Um, we're going to do a series of sermons that are just a word study. So literally, each week, we'll talk about a word. Guess what the first one's going to be? It's going to be grace, because this word is too important. What it means is too important, too valuable to our faith, and it's the thing we've got to share with people for them to understand the love of Christ and what it truly means in the meantime, I've got a very short period of time left, so I'm going to give you the simplest yet most profound explanation that I can. Let's start with this. A very simple definition. It's old school language, but you'll figure it out. Favor bestowed when punishment is owed. You see, a lot of people like to define grace as God's unmerited favor. There's nothing wrong with that definition. That is absolutely partially true, but that is only part of the blessing, the unmerited favor of God. That's really only part because in reality, not only do we receive that blessing, but... We receive it instead of what we actually have earned, what we deserve. We deserve the opposite. We deserve punishment. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. We deserve it. Did you know there's actually a formula for salvation? It's really quite simple. Let me explain. Under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the formula looked like this. If you keep the commands, then you escape the penalty. If you break the commands, you suffer. The penalty. Now, that probably sounds familiar to some of you that live in America. That's supposed to be the basis for our legal system. When you break the law, you're supposed to be punished. When you don't break the law, you're not supposed to be punished. Now, we can debate and argue all the things going on around us and whether that actually happens anymore, but that's what it's supposed to be based on. When it comes to God's law, here's the, here's the reality. It's impossible for us to keep it. We could never enter heaven through such a law system. It wouldn't work because it would mean that you and I kept the law absolutely perfectly every second of our entire life. 
for those of us that are sporting fans, it would be like batting a thousand in baseball while never committing an error on defense. And in fact, it meant every time you stepped to the plate, you actually hit a home run. Think of the impossibility, right? <laughs> maybe a little simpler form of sport. Maybe you're a bowler, perfect 300 every single time. You played a game. Every ball was a strike you ever rolled. A basketball player never missing a shot, never committing a turn, never, never committing a foul ever. A golfer, every shot's a hole in one. Might I add that keeping the law perfectly would be harder than all of those combined by far. Paul writes in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous. All have sinned in Romans 3.23 and fall short of the glory of God. And if you didn't know the word all is all-inclusive, it means you and me. You can apply it to others, that's fine, but just make sure you're in the mix with me as well. God's plan from before time was grace, a new formula. Now, this formula really is difficult to understand because it's simply this, keep the commands and you suffer the penalty. Break the commands and uh, you have an opportunity to escape the penalty, and that's not right. You see, that's not fair. That's not just. The very thought of grace is offensive to many who hear it. How could this possibly be? Why would anyone purposely obey all the rules, follow all the commands, get it right every single time, knowing that in the end, they would be the ones to receive punishment? While all the lawbreakers get an opportunity to get off free and clear, who on earth would sign up for that? Well, no one. So Jesus did. You see, he didn't sign up for it after the fact. He, he didn't come to realization that, well, there's really no hope left for humanity, so I guess we'll try this. You see, he was all in before it was ever necessary. Before the creation of the world, before the fall of man, Jesus' death was a part of his plan. Only the creator of the law had the capacity to fulfill and keep every detail of the law absolutely perfectly only the creator of the law could fulfill it. And as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And by fulfilling the law, he became the only possible sacrifice for those that could not keep it perfectly. You see, any other sacrifice that we would offer before God, even our very own life would fall short because our life is what is deserved. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. Yet Jesus owed absolutely nothing, yet paid everything. Again, I love to make these verses personal. For it is by grace I have been saved through faith. This is not from myself. There's nothing I could do. It's a gift of God, not by works so that I can boast. For I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God's prepared in advance for me to do. You see, Jesus took the punishment to prove how much he loves every human to ever walk this earth. He took the punishment so that justice could, in fact, be served. Someone had to pay the price. But in order for anyone to take your place or to take my place, they had to be innocent. He took the punishment so that we could have the opportunity to be with him for all eternity. Grace is incredible, and I can't wait one day, hopefully not too far in the distance, to dive fully into just that amazing topic. It's so crucial to our faith. It's the by means by which we are saved, and yet for so many, while I love it too, it's only an amazing song. Grace is so much more than an amazing song. Grace is the opposite of fairness, and what makes it so special, what makes it so beautiful, that's what makes it irresistible. Once you truly find out what it is, and then it's available to you. We are saved 
by grace. It is the basis for our salvation made only possible through the redemptive work of Jesus. Now why? Why would he do this? Why would he care so much? Well, verse 10 tells us why. (laughs) Because you and I are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece, his prize possession. That's why. I found this description by author and, and pastor Timothy Keller of this very concept. So listen to what he says. He says it way better than I ever could. Do you know what it means that you're God's workmanship? What is art? Art is beautiful. Art is valuable. Art is an expression of the inner being of the maker, of the artist. Imagine what that means. You are beautiful. You are valuable. You are an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. You see, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't say, I'm going to die just so that you know I love you. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to bleed for your splendor. I'm going to recreate you into something so beautiful. I will turn you into something splendid, magnificent. I am the artist, you are the art. I am the painter, you are the canvas. I am the sculptor, you are the marble. You don't look like much there in the quarry, but oh, I can see, oh, I can see. Jesus is an artist. And you, beloved, are his crowning achievement, his masterpiece. He created you and me on purpose and for a purpose. He died to redeem you because of your value to him. It is so immeasurably great. And once redeemed and saved, God will begin revealing himself through you and the fruit in your life, the good works that Paul speaks of in that passage. God has them waiting on you right now. If you're a believer, They're waiting as you get up from your seat here in just a few moments. They're right before you every moment of every day. If you've not yet accepted Jesus, then those good works are waiting in the wings, waiting for you to accept him so you can begin in that life. You see, the good works don't earn me or you anything. These good works are the fruit of our salvation. And so the question becomes today, have you accepted the incredible grace that God offers. The only way by which we are saved through Jesus is the grace of God. The only way we are redeemed is by his redemptive work done for us on the cross. And some people have never heard it explained that way. And so if that's you, then I pray that the Spirit moves in you today in a way that we begin to use these waters behind me. Because we know there's people listening every time that haven't made that decision for Christ yet. If you're a follower of Christ, would you please Heed the words of Paul. And when he puts all of those past things in the past, who you were before Christ, would you please give those to God today? If you've been carrying them around, you you might think it's crazy, but some people have been carrying them for decades. They won't release their past. Would you release those into the Spirit's hands today and free yourself of that?